Hello and welcome to the HPP Podcast. This is the HPP Podcast Editor, Arden Castle, and each week we explore a new topic related to the Health Promotion Practice Journal. Whether it's demystifying publishing, breaking down a new article, or discussing public health-related topics with our editorial board members, we hope you enjoy each week's exploration into health promotion practice. Hello and welcome to the HPP podcast. This is your host, Arden Castle, and today I'm joined by Dr. Whitney Nesser, one of the authors of Intergenerationology, the Scientific Study of Circular Movement Between Generations. Whitney's going to help us explore how the term intergenerationology was conceived and why it's important to understand and discuss. Before we get started, though, I'm going to ask Whitney to introduce herself and have her share where she's calling in from. Welcome, Whitney. Hi, Arden. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. I am an associate professor in the Department of Applied Clinical and Educational Sciences at Indiana State University. This is located in Terre Haute, Indiana, and my primary focus is on researching and teaching about quality of life, health, aging, and intergenerationality. My doctorate is in health education and health promotion from the University of Alabama at Birmingham. After my PhD, I completed a postdoctoral fellowship at MD Anderson Cancer Center, and that's it. Perfect. I'm so excited to have you here today, and you have a wonderful word that we get to talk about, intergenerationology. So can you help us start out by just defining what this word is? Sure. Dr. Yi, who is not able to be on the podcast today, but she's my co-author, on the intergenerationology paper in HPP, we wanted to find a way to describe the focus of some of what we did with our research. Intergenerationology is a term we created to have a designated and dedicated way to describe those involved in research, practice, and service with multiple generations. So in sum, intergenerationology is the study of circular movement between generations. There's a quote by Emile Durkheim that each new generation is reared by its predecessor. The latter must therefore improve in order to improve its successor. So the movement is circular between the generations. There's also a song for those of us old enough to remember the group Mike and the Mechanics, but it's called The Living Years. And there's a line that says, every generation blames the one before. Our intention with intergenerationality isn't to study how each generation is blaming the one before, the one after, or all in between, but how we can really look at cross-disciplinary study of generations and what the circular movement between them mean. I love this. That's a fantastic idea. And with your experience with gerontology and thinking about this circular movement, to have a dedicated word to describe this full experience, I think is fantastic. And so we chatted beforehand and you were talking about how you Wikipedia'd and were kind of sorting around trying to find, is there a dedicated word? And there isn't. And so can you tell us about the difference between intergenerationology and intergenerationality? I can, because there's a lot of confusion. One, because nobody knows much about intergenerationology yet because it's new. Thank you for giving some opportunity for us to promote it. But intergenerationality is the interaction between members of different generations. And the difference with the term intergenerationology is the ology part. The ology means study of. So intergenerationology, I thought it was fun to say, which is why we started talking about it in the beginning before Dr. Yee and I published the paper, but 
It's the study of different aspects and relations between generations. So the difference is that it's studying that. It helps express the work of those across disciplines. So a few examples, psychology, where the study of generations may focus on cognition or sociology, where it might be the study of social interaction. Gerontology studies aging. Social work may be the focus for their study is social justice. Or public health could be a study of health promotion and health equity. But of course, social workers can study health equity as well, and none of these are mutually exclusive. It's just to show that various disciplines approach topics through a different side of a kaleidoscope. I love it. I love that it is sort of this umbrella term of studying so much, because as you just mentioned, all these different disciplines have some overlap between each other. And so you love words, which I appreciate. And so can you tell us more about this ology, the study of the word? What's the story of how we got to the specific intergenerationology? Well, at Indiana State University, I'm the gerontology program director. My background's health education. And a long time ago, when I was a graduate student, one of the first papers that I was asked to publish with faculty, it was about an intergenerational program. And it was called Seniors Offering Support. It was in Birmingham, Alabama. And it helped me see what interactions happen between older adults and younger children. It was middle school, I think, and seniors in the community. And ultimately, the reason I started thinking about intergenerationality, and then Dr. Yee and I started talking about it together, is that she also is in gerontology, but our main focus with our research is not only on gerontology. It's not on only on older adults. We teach about health and aging and society and aging, but the research is really looking at how generations cross between one another and it becomes more circular. And when I had to update my curriculum beta, I realized I needed to explain what my research interest was. And I wasn't sure how to do that because I was interested, you know, I, I published on quality of life. I have a caregiver scale for cystic fibrosis. I can describe those things, but when I was trying to explain what I was doing for research related to intergenerational stuff, I just kept coming up with intergenerational stuff or intergenerational things. There's intergenerational programming. There's intergenerational communication. I don't have a pure line of research yet for intergenerational activities, but I needed to describe it somehow. So I'm wondering, I was wondering how to describe myself. And I thought, well, it sounds like I really am an intergenerationologist, but there wasn't a word to describe that. So I looked up every ology I could find on the internet. I tried to comb everywhere to make sure that I wasn't just trying to create a term that already existed, like the intergenerationality, but the ology is the study of, and it is way more descriptive for me and Dr. Yi agreed, which is why she wrote it with me, that we are more intergenerationologists. This may become something that others adopt, but when I have my health education degree, I don't consider myself only a health educator. I've worked with quality of life, I've worked with other things, but I'm also not a gerontologist by training. So an intergenerationologist made a lot of sense to me, and this was the way to describe it. I love how this word fits into so many different aspects of your own work and your own life because you have the perfect mix of experience to 
kind of reflect back on these different interactions, not only along your own lifespan and career of kind of chatting back with yourself and how you got to where you are, but also that your work has exposed you to different life stages. And so I think that the purpose of this word is not only for yourself, but also because there's this gap in the language and the literature. And I want to push a little bit more because we talked about a fantastic story of bringing these different disciplines together, this developmental span across life. Can you tell us more about how we can learn not just from folks who are older when we, at least for me, I usually think gerontology is older folks, but where can we learn across the lifespan? Is there some younger, even infants perhaps that have things to tell us? Well, it's a good uh, point that you're bringing up and a story since I'm more aligned with the older adults. It makes sense to me. I've always, I volunteered when it first volunteer job was at a nursing home. I just enjoy older people. I'm an only child. I haven't been around infants or small children. They they just are full of energy and life and they're a little overwhelming for me. So we have an early child care center here at Indiana State University and I went to visit the center a few weeks ago and the director, Holly, she took me to each of the little areas that they have there. They have preschoolers and toddlers and infants. And I really thought as I was starting to explore what kind of intergenerational programming I might be able to do here at Indiana State with other colleagues, other disciplines, I needed to start understanding a little bit about the developmental lifespan about what it is from being infant till old age. I'm in a college of education here at Indiana State. And so I'm the gerontology person, but I'm working with many colleagues. Most of them are working with younger children and their elementary education or secondary education. And we have a whole host of other other education things, but I didn't know enough about what it was for the young across the span to the old. So I visited this early child care center and the preschoolers were running all around and they were super excited and they wanted to know my name and they wanted to tell me their name. And I couldn't keep up with the energy. It was a lot when I was toured to the toddler room, which two years old and under, I think I didn't really understand what they were trying to tell me. So it was a little frustrating, although they were just as cute, but I just, I wasn't sure how to relate. And then Holly took me to the infants and we caught them at a good time where they weren't crying or screaming or something, but they were just so expressive. And as I said, I haven't been around infants often, but it felt like there was such a communication. Somehow there was something between what their eyes were saying or showing and what they were looking at and the curiosity that I was perceiving, at least in their expressions, that I think there's a real place for a number of components of what it means to go across the, the, the lifespan, whether it's looking at empathy or it's looking at communication, how we have our own self-reflection by having interactions with a different generation. I'd really like to see it so that there's a the older 65 and above group with college-age students, what more traditional college-age student, 20-somethings, and then the early children, you know, the early child care center type of thing to be able to see if there's a weight across all of those, that's those generations to see what can we learn? How do they talk to one another? Is it different? I mean, for the ones, you know, that are talking, I mean, that not the infants, but the communication, the nonverbal, the verbal, 
how does it change through the generations? I know there must be literature out there already, but I'd really like to push it a little bit further. I see a lot of this, particularly within community bands and music. I think that is so cool, this folding back of different generations. In my brain, there's some sort of origami motion going on as we're getting different folks through their lifespan to communicate and express with each other. And I wouldn't have expected to have a mind-opening moment in a nursery when I think about intergenerationology, but it sounds like it's totally there. And where else can we see it? I know you've sort of mentioned this folding of college-age students with older professors, but then you're also a community musician. And so have you seen that in that space as well? Well, there was one example, and this is another reason I think this all started coming together before we published this paper. I play with the concert band here at Indiana State. I play for the Terre Haute Community Band. I played in a number, number of places around. I'm a volunteer. I'm an amateur musician. I'm not a professional musician, but mostly I play bass clarinet and the wind instruments. But I was in a concert band rehearsal here at Indiana State, and it's a concert band where we have student conductors. So they are getting ready to go out into the field and do their student teaching so they have to be able to learn to conduct because they're going to be their mu music education majors and the people who are in the concert bands are typically other students but there's a lot of community members as well so that's where I fit in even though I'm faculty here I'm not music faculty so I'm a community member and many of the people that play in the Terre Haute community band also play at Indiana State for the concert band because it's the only way to really have a full range of how you can experience the instrumentation and what it means to have to interact with something other than just a role play of student conductors conducting each other. So they're really conducting musicians. Some of these musicians have been playing for 50 years, 60 years. And it was an interesting moment when there was a student conductor on the podium they're very nervous typically just because they haven't had to be in front of a group like this before. This is the practice. It's a safe place to practice conducting. And one of the trumpet players, an older gentleman playing probably for 60 years for real and good, all good. These are all good musicians. But the student conductor stopped the piece of music that we were playing and said to the trumpet player, that you missed your entrance. And the trumpet player said back to the student conductor, you didn't give me a cue. You didn't tell me when to enter for my part. Although they were probably counting just fine and everybody would have, something was out of sync. But the interaction between the two of them, the conductor's face turned red, probably because they were embarrassed. And part of them, it almost looked like they weren't even embarrassed. Like, why are you, what do you mean? I'm the conductor. You should be listening to what I'm saying. It doesn't matter what you think. And then the trumpet player is looking at the conductor saying, I've been playing for 60 years. I'm good. You should, you know, at least acknowledge that I am good. So there seemed to be a disconnect between the conductor, the trumpet player, and I don't think it was just a one point in time. I think there are moments like that to try to understand there's such a mix of ages in community bands. And we all have to be on the same page at some point of playing music. But where does where do the intersections come from 
what does it mean to have, you know, a 15 year old playing or an 18 year old playing? And then you've got somebody who's 40, 50, 60. We have 70 year olds. We've had 80 year olds play. I love this example of reciprocal learning because it is so obvious when folks are not together. When you have that discord in music, it's not music anymore. And so I think it's such an obvious and fun way to kind of outline this learning where it is a safe place for folks to practice and have that dialogue and also the acknowledgement of knowledge or lack of knowledge. And so I think it can be kind of embarrassing. I think I would have turned red as well, but why do we do it? Why do we need to have this dialogue back and forth? I think it's important, you know, I think to where they would have pageants and, you know, the, the end piece is always, so what do you wish for in the world, world peace? Well, it's true. I mean, we really need to find ways to solve some of the devastation that's happening on our planet through humility and healthy relationships with one another, finding some harmony. It's not going to solve all the problems to have generations start to understand one another. It's a small piece. And I hope that it will help cultivate empathy or understanding or you know for somebody to look at what is happening in the current generation which has a broad continuum of different pronouns of different definitions of who we are who they are and different reflections on what it means to be in society with each other well I think it's important Definitely. And I think that in order for us to cultivate empathy and better understand each other and reach peace, we have to get to know the folks that are around us that we want to be in peace with. And so how do you think that this research is going to be received or sort of where are next steps? I know that you said that you think this is important. So I want to know maybe next steps for the field, but also what does it mean to you that we continue this research? And I know that as a multiracial person, we've kind of touched on, you know, folks having different experiences, having different pronouns and different ways of describing themselves. And I definitely can see this in my own life, having, you know, to contend with the times where my beliefs are different from generations above me and grandparents that don't have the same lived experiences as a multiracial person, as, you know, occupying different spaces that perhaps my family doesn't occupy, what does that look like? And so I know that it means a lot to me to kind of find that piece, but I want to know where do we go here? I think there's many different places we can go. It's already happening. This particular term is to describe the study of what is happening. So one thing as I continue on this path of intergenerationology and being an intergenerationologist, self-proclaimed, I'll be teaching a class here at Indiana State at the Asher Lifelong Learning Institute, ALI. Those are all across the country, but here I'm going to do a course on intergenerationality about how all generations connect and interact, communicate, and experience our world, and talk to the group about how characteristics and perspectives within each generation helps us to foster a better understanding of others and create healthier interpersonal relationships. Particularly, I want to, in this course, and it's a small piece of what I'd like to do broader at a later time, is to explore the how and why of each generation through a broad lens of generational attitudes, lifestyles, technology, and world events. There's an excellent book that is going to be, I think you have in one of the links, but 
It's the Generations book, and it's very recent, but it's about the real differences between Gen Z, Millennials, Gen X, Boomers, and Silence, and what they mean for America's future. So it's out there. It's just how do we keep developing it, and how do we recognize it as a full discipline going forward? Definitely. I think that we need to carve out that space, not only in academia, so it can be that ology and let's start studying it because it is happening. But also I think that the thing that keeps ringing true to me is this idea of empathy, that in order for us to go forward, we have to learn from the folks that we're sitting at the same room in or put ourselves in more rooms with different people than us. Um, I think that a lot of times we think about racial equity and gender equity, but I think that ageism or the age piece of really breaking down those barriers and listening, I think listening and speaking, but mostly listening to each other will be a huge step into the future. So I'm so excited to see where this goes and jealous of the folks who get to sit in that course with you to kind of break into this space. But I just love to thank you, Dr. Whitney Nesser. And if listeners want to find out more about this paper, you can access it through the Journal of Health Promotion Practice or at www.intergenerationology.com. The link to the paper is on that site as well. And if you follow us on Twitter or LinkedIn, you'll see when new papers and podcast episodes are available. So please help us promote this work by sharing the links widely among your own networks. At that HPP website, you can also sign up for new article alerts so that you know whenever new articles are published on any of the topics you're interested in. Hopefully, intergenerationology will be one of those hot topic words you'll be able to follow because we're going to have more out there, hopefully, right, Whitney? We're going to have <laughs> tons more research in this space. And then all of these links are going to be in the show notes of the episode. So thank you again to our guest, Dr. Whitney Nesser. And I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. Thank you so much, Arden. I enjoyed it tremendously. It's so nice to talk with you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the HPP podcast. If you enjoyed this content, let us know by tagging us or responding to our promotions on Twitter and LinkedIn. You can also find out more about the Health Promotion Practice Journal from Sage or Sophie's websites. All of these links can be found on the podcast website at anchor.fm forward slash health dash promotion dash practice. Take care and have a great day.